This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. No longer do we have to lead in episodes with me saying, hey, baseball's getting close because baseball's here. It is at the door. It is knocking. You can let it in now. It's fine. It's knocking. Being very polite. My dog. That's my Just tried to knock in a way in which she would know it wasn't actually the door. And she didn't go running to the door, but she is looking at me like, well, what was that? What was that all about? (laughs) Are you going to do something about this? That was just baseball knocking. Like, uh, don't worry. It was just baseball knocking at our collective door. Ah, She laid her head back down. She doesn't care. Hi, welcome inside. It's episode number 147 of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is my co-host and good pal. Hi, Sam. Oh, I don't know if we've ever introduced ourselves that way. It's Valentine's Our, Day, buddy. It is Valentine's Day. Love is in the air. Happy Valentine's Day to you, Tyler. Blah, 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 My good blah, friend, blah, Tyler. Blah, blah. <laughs> um, let's, uh, you know, we're actually going to talk in a little while about what we have planned for Valentine's Day. So I'm not going to ask you what you have planned for Valentine's Day. I was going to say that's it's also a terrible tease. You make it out like we're going to go yeah. deep on our discussion. Oh yeah, no, really there's not. it's like a it's like a two second thing. It's like yeah. yesterday. Um, there was a big Twitter exploded early this morning or yesterday morning because apparently on Ellen she asked Jerry Seinfeld, "Is there a chance that Seinfeld could be rebooted at some point? Because there are no unique ideas in television at all anymore, and every network executive everywhere is like, what uh, what shows do we run in the '90s? Why don't we just do those again?" Um, and, and Jerry said, it's possible. So I watched Ellen, that interview yesterday to see how he elaborated on that. Literally. She asked him the question. He goes, it's possible. Everybody freaks out cheering. And then there's a really awkward edit point And the interview just ends like they didn't <laughs> allow. And I'm sure like everything that I've ever known about Jerry Seinfeld, I'm sure he continued by saying it's possible, but yeah, it's not going to happen. And they just cut that out. Undoubtedly. I've no doubt. That See, I'd, I'd rather think he just laid out four seasons of plot. <laughs> it's possible. And, and here's NBC how it's going down. Saying, like you're not allowed to do that. You have Ooh. to keep these things under wraps. Ooh. Yeah. Look at you. Come come to my version of the world. It's more fun. That yeah, I know. Mine is uh very much not. Um so with that, episode one forty seven underway. Thanks for tuning in to the show before the show, wherever you found us on iTunes, on Google Play, on the Stitcher app, at MILB.com slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You can be our Valentines today, but only if you give us a five star rating and review and subscription. And can prove it. And can prove it. Because we're, we're those types of people that need our love proof. We need petty love validation. Yes. That's what we need. Um, you know, it's the way of the world these days. Uh, so let's get started on episode number 147. Spring training underway almost everywhere across Florida and Arizona. Official report days late for a couple of teams. Um, I think the Washington Nationals are last or among the last coming up on Friday, the 16th. But recording on Valentine's Day, February 14th. Whole bunch of teams reporting today as they have been first couple of days of this week. And uh we, if you are headed out to spring training, we are here to serve. Um, Sam is going down to Florida. Uh, Josh Jackson and I will be headed to Arizona. We booked our place. I booked a rental car today. Sam's got his stuff all sorted out. Um, it's getting very close. So we're going to get things started with a couple of things spring training related. Strike one this week, Sam. If you are headed to spring training, which you are, what prospects batting practice would you most like to see? Yeah, we kind of frame it this way because a lot of people usually reach out to us every spring and say, hey, listen, I'm going down to Florida. I'm going down to Arizona. Um, Who where should I go? What should I do while I'm around? Um, So kind of in that vein, you know, we'll we'll do this first one on batters and we'll do the second one on pitchers. And these are kind of guys we're excited to see when we're down there uh, in our respective places, although some of these guys I'm going to be laying out are more for uh josh and tyler which is wholly unfair um but when it comes to batting practice i think you got to start with eloy jimenez which tyler if you don't get to see eloy jimenez batting practice right while you're in arizona i'm going to be very upset with you 
Um, we need we need that on the site. We need video of it. We need Hemingway esque descriptions. The whole thing. Uh, him and his, I'm gonna his, leave the descriptions up to Josh because he's an actual good writer. There you go. You you can narrate it. How about that? Okay, that works. You can you can use his words. You can use your voice, and it, it'll works. be a lovely MILB.com production. Okay. I'm good with that. Uh, Eloy, you know, this is gonna be his first spring with the White Sox. Uh, six foot four, two hundred five pounds, built like a house. Has the power to kind of back it up. Uh, I think it was in the Carolina League All Star Game last year, or a Carolina League Home Run Derby. Literally hit a light pole and had it shatter. Made for awesome video. That that should be up on the site, I believe. Um, and he just has that threat to do that. You know, where, wherever he's playing. I know during the Futures Game when I was down there, he had one of the bigger crowds. Everybody wanted to see exactly how he was going to do. Um, so put him. You know, he's going to be in Major League Camp. He's going to be with the White Sox. He has kind of a 2018 ETA, going to try to be pushing for that club, sh- trying to show off as much as he can. You know, he, he might have the best power of anybody in that group. Put him up with Jose Abreu, I guess, amongst White Sox sluggers. Um, but I would love to see what he can do now, you know, first spring, trying to impress the new guys. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, kind of in that same vein, Tyler O'Neill is going to be spending his first spring with the Cardinals. And O'Neill has a much better chance at breaking camp with the Cardinals. Um, but again, you know, we longtime listeners of the show have heard us talk about him and his biceps, his Canadian biceps, uh, just how big they are, how powerful they are. You know, he finished last year at AAA Memphis. His last game was the AAA National Championship game. Had some struggles at the beginning of the year, got traded from the Mariners to the Cardinals, uh, finished up the year at Memphis, got better as the season went on. Um, you know, he, he still doesn't have that great of a hit tool, but when he connects, he can really put on a show. Um, so, you know, he's kind of in that discussion for a fourth, fifth outfield spot with St. Louis. He's on the 40 man now. Uh, you know, he's in that kind of mix with Harrison Bader. You know, their outfield is pretty well set up as things are right now between Tommy Pham, Dexter Fowler and Marcelo Ozuna. Uh, but they do need a fourth outfield spot. Can O'Neill do enough? Is his power enough uh, to kind of break into that that mold there? You know, his trick is power. So his batting practice is going to be fun no matter what. Is he going to use that as an opportunity to show off uh, in this first spring with that club? I'll throw out one other name um, that isn't necessarily powerful. When you think of batting practice, we think of power. You want to see it turn into a home run derby if you're a fan, especially. Um, but Keston Hiura, uh, at he'll be at Brewers camp this year. First round pick last year. Uh, played mostly DH duty, part-time second baseman because of an elbow issue he had coming out of college. But might have the best, if or one of the best, if not the best, hit tool in the minors already. He hasn't even played, you know, a full season of minor league ball yet. A lot is expected out of him. And I love seeing guys who have good hit tool, hit tools work. You know, they're going to be trying to send the ball to left field. Then they're going to start working on sending it to right field. Then they're going to start working on hitting it up the middle. Those are real hitting clinics. So if you want to see a real hitting technician go to work, Hyura is kind of your best shot at seeing that happen. You know, you're not going to see 450 feet blast or anything like that. But if you want to see somebody really hone their craft, that's where you do it. So Hyura at Brewers Camp is kind of that third person that would throw in that mix. Uh, he's another guy. He's going to be in Arizona. He's not going to be in Florida. O'Neal's the only one in Florida that I'm going to be able to see. But Cardinals Camp is definitely on my list uh, that I solidified this week. And we'll get more into that the closer we get to my trip. But, yeah, very excited to see those three this spring. Um, man, those are good ones. Uh, I'm going to throw in one with our standard, uh, disclaimer, Shohei Otani, uh, not going to be a prospect for long, but man, BP sessions don't get much cooler than Shohei Otani, who literally once broke the roof of the Tokyo dome with a ball that he hit. Um, Vlad Guerrero jr. To me is a, is a big one who I'm not going to get a chance to see, but Sam probably will, um, over in the, in the grapefruit league. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a good mix. I also think... The most exciting thing to watch in batting practice, obviously, are power prospects. But when you see guys who are just good hitters in batting practice, that's as fun as anything else. I mean, if you go out and and watch a guy who just knows how to put the ball anywhere off of his bat and can angle and hit and do the things that you want to see, you know, just a a very solid top-to-bottom profile hitter do, those are fun. And they're not nearly as sexy to watch as a guy who can break light towers or or roofs, but they're, they're fun. Um, and in a lot of ways, 
they're more difficult to even understand. You kind of see a guy who's just cranking balls out of a yard in batting practice because of his power, and you think, like, all right, well, that figures. But if you just watch somebody who can spray line drives all over the place, um, can kind of do with a swing what he wants to do with a swing, that's almost more impressive than watching somebody who just blisters a ball with power. So don't sleep on those guys because those guys are a lot of fun to watch too. So if you get a chance to go out and watch somebody like Nick Senzel who's got a 70-grade hit tool um, in Cincinnati, which is something that I'm hoping to do when I go to Reds camp, um, you know, those guys are uh, – they can be a whole lot of fun. Glaber Torres, yeah, same thing, way over the Grapefruit League. Right, and one thing I would add with those guys is that usually I think fans kind of watch where the ball ends up. That That's kind of what they're focused right, on. Right, right. And we both brought that up. You know, seeing them spray it all over the field can be a lot of fun. But watch the stance. Watch what goes into that. Go Watch their mechanics and see what they're playing with too. You know, batting practice is a time to – to try some new things, you know, try a higher leg lift, try no leg lift, try, you know, whatever. Um, these guys are going to be working on a whole bunch of different things. So don't just look at the outfield and think like, oh, Eloy Jimenez hit that, you know, way out to left center. Look at what he did to get there, you know, and what is changing from swing to swing, what he's trying to do when he is trying to go opposite field. Uh, you can learn as much there as you can by the output of the ball. Yeah. No, I think it's a really good way to put it, and um, it's an art form. I mean, it's when you're hitting, even in batting practice, I think you can tell a lot about guys based on just what they're able to do against somebody who's, you know, lobbing stuff up to them. If you do get a chance to go watch, you know, inner squad stuff or, um, you know, live BP sessions, which hitters are swinging against live pitching, that's fun too because it's a more controlled environment than an actual game setting, um, but still you're getting to see what guys can do against a pitcher who's trying to not just lob meatballs in there. Um, spring training is so much fun because you get to see so many different angles of all this. And the flip side of that question is strike two. What prospect bullpen or spring training outing would you most want to see, Sam? Um, yeah, so one of the guys, well, both of these guys that I picked uh, made news kind of this week. Uh, the first, again, I'm going to go back to Cardinals camp in Jupiter, Palm Beach, whatever you want to call that area, uh, Roger Dean Stadium, more or less, uh, is Alex Reyes. You know, he's coming back from Tommy John surgery, basically had Tommy John surgery almost 12 months ago. Um, so he's coming back from that. There's a lot of questions right now in Cardinals camp, which is a lot of fun. This makes for an interesting storyline to follow. Uh, what are they going to do with him? They're expecting him to really crank things up by May 1st. Um, so he's only doing a couple of things now. But this week he started throwing 40 fastballs. Uh, isn't working on the, the breaking stuff yet, but they feel comfortable enough with him to throw 40 pitches like a normal routine, which is a lot a lot of fun and good to see from him, especially as a guy who has top velocity uh, to let him just kind of go for it at, at this point in his recovery and his rehab is good. Um, but yeah, what, what they're going to do with him, how they're going to kind of ease him in how he's looking. Uh, you know, they're talking about either using him as a major league reliever right away or potentially sending him back to Memphis to work as a starter. Uh, you know, this might sound selfish being a minor league writer. I would like to see him back in Memphis. I think he has enough pitches to be a starter. I want to see him make the most of that. I don't feel like starting him as a reliever and kind of, you know, maybe tacking on innings as it goes along. That might seem good for his health, but that might, uh, you know, not work exactly in terms of him being a fully fledged starter by July or something like that. It's not easy to make that transition necessarily in the middle of the season. Um, but yeah, just kind of see where he's at. If you're a Cardinals fan, you probably are going to be doing this anyways. Um, but see, you know, when they start mixing in breaking pitches with him, uh, how many they're letting him go on a day-to-day -day basis. When I'm there, I'll try to get updates on him. Uh, we know Cardinals reporters are are staying on that story as much as they can. Um, so going to be really interesting to do some health checks on Reyes as the spring goes along. Uh, the other one is Justice Sheffield, who I think this week – I saw a quote from him that said he feels like he can pitch in the major leagues right now. Uh, and some of the reports we were getting out of him in the Arizona Fall League, you know, increased velocity, some good breaking pitches kind of speaks to that. You know, he hasn't yet pitched at Triple A. Uh, he finished last year at Double A Trenton, had some health worries. But, uh, you know, what what is he going to do to back that up? This spring, you know, Yankees camp is already loaded and it's already loaded with young talent. And I don't think there's that much doubt that, you know, the Yankees rotation is already pretty much set one through five. But he's going to get a chance. chance. Speaking of chance, Chance Adams is going to get a chance. What are they going to do with that opportunity? You know, Sheffield is going to be in that mix at Triple A Scranton probably to start the year. Uh, this is his chance to show the Yankees, listen, 
I think I'm ready now. You know, if you want to bring me up on May 1st, that'd be great. Um, so, you know, with that confidence that he obviously got from the fall league and his performance there, how is that going to translate into grapefruit league games? How is that going to translate into stuff in his bullpens? Uh, I'm going to be fascinated to watch that, but to see that confidence in him is really fun and exciting. And, and I really want to see how that's going to play out here in the next couple of weeks. I got a couple of selfish answers because they're in the in the Cactus League and some guys that I'll be really excited to watch. But um, one of them is left-hander Adrian Morahone, who's in the San Diego Padres organization. And I saw him last year throw um, a, a live BP session at Padres camp in Peoria. And it was like everybody shut down whatever they were doing to go watch Adrian Morahone. He made it to the Class A Midwest League last year at 18 years old. Um, he's got really good stuff and almost a bizarre array of stuff. He's got a fastball. He's got a curveball. He's got a changeup. He actually has two changeups. He's got a standard changeup and then kind of a knuckle changeup that he throws. That's so weird that the Padres kind of had to figure out whether or not anybody could coach him on it. And Burt Hooten, who was a pitching coach at class, a Fort Wayne last year, sort of threw something similar in his career. So he's worked with Adrian Morahone on it, but Morahone just has so many different things that he can do on the mound. Um, He's a really, really intriguing prospect to watch. He's also six foot one sixty five and touches ninety six miles an hour. So um, the type of guy who kind of makes you feel like all things are possible. And those are some of my favorite baseball players. Kind of the antithesis of him in in being a left hander is AJ Puck of the Oakland Athletics organization. I don't think that it's enough to say. I don't. Th I think it's too much to say that people are sleeping on AJ Puck. But I don't think AJ Puck has yet broken into that elite level of prospects the way people view a lot of other arms that are higher up on the list. He is um, going into 2018, the second ranked left-handed pitching prospect, according to MLB pipeline, but doesn't feel like yet he's in the same area of the conversation as a Forrest Whitley or a Michael Kopech or Brent Honeywell, those guys all being right-handers. Um, Mackenzie Gore is the only lefty who is ranked above him, also in the Padres organization. So while watching Morahone, hopefully I'll get a chance to see Mackenzie Gore as well. But AJ Puck's numbers last year, Pitched in 27 combined games, 24 of them were starts between Class A Advanced Stockton and Double A Midland. He struck out 184 batters in 125 innings, and he only walked 48. 184 batters in 125 innings, and it's not like this is a kid who just jumped out of Florida, the sixth overall pick in 2016, and went to Tri City in the Northwest League and was just dominating for the Dust Devils. Uh, you know, I mean, this is, or I guess to. I should probably use an A's affiliate since we're not talking about the <laughs> Padres anymore. Lake Monsters, sir. Didn't go to the Vermont Lake Monsters in the in the New York Penn League, which he did and dominated there. But last year, did not just go there and dominate lower-level competition. Yes, in his first season, his debut campaign, that's where he headed. But last year, he's doing this against upper minor league competition in AA. The ERA jumped up a little bit. It was 4.36 compared to 3.69 where he was at Class A Advanced in the California League. But still, 86 strikeouts in 64 innings in AA in his very first taste of double a and 13 starts there aj puck is is tremendously talented a lot of fun to watch and i'm going to be excited to, to get a chance to get a look at him yeah and he's a lot of fun to watch even if you don't know exactly what you're watching for he's kind of like the perfect fan bullpen to watch yeah because he's just huge right he's massive you know the the randy johnson comps only come from size i mean stuff he's he's not necessarily as overbearing quite yet I, i'm not putting that on him but if you want to watch somebody and just feel like i would be scared to be within 10 feet of him right. uh, or 10 feet of the batter's box. Thank God I'm behind this protective netting um, that he's one of those guys to do that with. And, you know, I, I remember talking to him in the fall for a story I did on uh, fifth fielding independent pitching. He talked about how, you know, he thought the biggest improvements he made was on the secondary stuff was on the breaking stuff was on the changeup. Um, so that stuff he's going to be tinkering with more, even more this spring. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to get some AJ puck time in it. I'm jealous of you guys. If you get to see him, uh, down there in Arizona strike three, Sam, take it away. Yeah. We're going to actually jump throwing, right in. I know. Yeah. We're going to be throwing this back to you. Uh, it is winter <laughs> Olympics time, uh, and we are a sports podcast. So we have to talk about this, the winter Olympics in some way. Um, but we do have a very obvious connection. I, I know it's, he's somebody both you and I have talked to. You had the most recent story up that was, I thought was really good and did really well on the site as well. People were very interested in this. A prospect in the White Sox system, uh, Eddie Alvarez, who has reached as high as AAA Charlotte, uh, was a silver medalist in the Winter Games four years ago. 
Now he's trying to work his way up that White Sox system. Uh, Tyler, what did you learn from talking to him? Uh, what is it kind of like for him, you know, watching the games now as a different type of athlete? And what are his kind of expectations going into 2018? Yeah, it was really cool. Like you said, we talked to Eddie before for the site. We've even talked to him about, you know, being a, a two-sport athlete before for the site. But being that it is the Winter Olympics now, we hadn't checked in with him for a little while. And the fact that he reached AAA last year, um, in addition to reaching AAA at the end of 2016, you know, he's a step below the major leagues. And this is a guy who was at the pinnacle of his sport four years ago with speed skating um, and now has a chance, a, a fairly legitimate chance to make it to the pinnacle of this sport and be a major league baseball player in 2018. And it was really neat. The thing that I was most fascinated about with Eddie is the amount of time that he spent. I don't want to say regretful, but certainly mindful of the fact that had he been able to dedicate himself 100% to one thing or the other, he's probably either, you know, a gold medalist at this stage in the Olympics or he's a major leaguer on the other side if he had dedicated himself full-time to baseball. The the overriding lesson of his story is he waited for a while to get knee surgery, and he ended up having torn, uh, which is almost mind-boggling, but he tore both patellar tendons on each knee, um, and after playing baseball in 2011, uh, his one year of college baseball, finally had an operation on those to have them repaired in early 2012. By the end of 2013 and end of 2014, he was qualifying for the Olympics, and then in Sochi, he goes out and wins silver in the 5,000-meter um, short track speed skating relay. So his lesson, I said, you know, what's the thing that you would tell 18-year-old Eddie Alvarez, if you could go back and talk to yourself and you were coming out of high school. And he said, the first thing I tell him is get knee surgery earlier because Eddie was a speed skater, graduated high school, moved to, to Salt Lake city to try to make the 2010, um, us winter Olympics team for speed skating. Didn't make it had felt knee pain and decided, you know what? I'm going to give myself a break, go play some college baseball, see what I can do to get my knees healthy. They never got healthy. And so he finally threw himself into the surgery. He's already 21 years old at that point. Um, so it was interesting because I think the juxtaposition of those two things of like, if I dedicated myself all to this one thing or all to this other thing, I could have been one of the all-time greats at it. And just the the luxury of being that good at two elite sports that you could say, man, I could have really been great at one of these. Eddie's going to be great at both of them. He's got an Olympic silver medal. He's got a chance to make the major leagues. Like, that's incredible. But having the drive that somebody like that has, I think there is always going to be something that sticks in the back of your mind to think, what if I would have done it one way or done it the other? What, how good could I have been? Um, he's still going to be great at both and already is great at both. But uh, that was really interesting about the whole thing to me. So um, I think it's difficult. He said it's bittersweet watching the Olympics now and his event is coming up on Saturday, a 5,000 meter relay. And, you know, one of the guys um, who was on his team in 2014, Jay Arcelski is going to be on that same relay group. And they actually set a world record in qualifying for the Olympics this year and the 5,000 meter relay. So there's a very good chance they medal again. And yeah, that would probably be really difficult. But at the same time, Eddie's going to be going to spring training. Nobody else that he was speed skating with is going to spring training to play professional baseball. So it's a pretty cool story. And he is a really bright, really infectious, really easy guy to talk to and an easy guy to cheer for. And it was it was fun to catch up with him. Yeah, right. It, I'm sure you might be kicking himself, but you know, you, you hear a lot about Olympic medalists and, you know, their career ends and that's kind of it. Right. You, you become a coach in what you were doing before or you go on and you work in some other field or, you know, whatever. Um, for him to move on to do something else athletically right. is nuts. Incredible. Yeah. And, you know, I have a lot of and respect such for divergent people sports, that. too. I mean, it's not like, you know, he was a he was a baseball player and then he tried to play cricket like the, <laughs> the <laughs> difference in the sports is amazing. And I read an interview that he gave, um, I think, to the Miami Herald. But he was talking about how when he first started watching film of himself as a base runner. He said, everything that you could do wrong in base running, I did. Because as speed skaters, I think the way he termed it was when they come off the line, you kind of look like an awkward duckling, like your legs are flailing all <laughs> over the place because you're just trying to get that traction in order to start pushing yourself into the rhythm of a race. Whereas in baseball you really have to take one, two steps and be in that fluid line to the next base, especially if you're going to be a base stealer. And right. that was fascinating. I mean, the transition between those two teams, it's not easy. It's not like there's a lot of muscle memory that carries over from speed skating to baseball. That's one of the things that blew my mind about it. Right. Just picking up a bat and, you know, he hit 240 last year for AAA Charlotte. So it's not like he's the greatest hitter, but still like 
You and I aren't hitting 240. <laughs> right, exactly. You and Throw I me into a, a professional baseball game. Right. Yeah. yeah, and that's, you know, this is a guy who played one year of baseball after graduating high school. Graduated high school in 2008. He played one year of baseball in 2011 in college at Salt Lake Community College, in which he was uh, an all-conference player. It's in the NJCAA, the National Junior College Athletic Association. But he was an all-conference player for Salt Lake. Um, and then three years later, hasn't played baseball since 2011, gets back from the world championships following the Sochi Olympics and says, all right, I'm baseball full-time gets signed by the white Sox in June. And two years after that, he's in triple a finishes the 2016 season in triple a. It's pretty incredible. Even if he never makes the major leagues, it's an incredible transition story. And the fact that somebody is able to do that and the athleticism that that takes the mental aptitude that that takes is just unbelievable. Yeah. And the, and the dedication too, right. To turn into that, you know, to put something aside like that and go at it full time is, you know, we don't root for athletes that often, but I would love to see him, you know, make his debut at some point in 2018 or 2019 coming up. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. So winter Olympics, um, just continuing that thought for a foul ball this week. Uh, if there was a prospect who you could put in the winter Olympics, Sam, and watch them, uh, on an event, what, uh, what prospect would make the best winter Olympian? Yeah, so I've got two, and I wish I had a little bit more fun with these. I might have taken it too seriously, which is kind of silly to say, because uh, this is completely made up on our end. <laughs> but uh, you know, if Eddie Alvarez is going to be a really, really good short track speed skater, I really, really want to see Jorge Mateo as a short track Ooh, speed skater. Okay. Um, I don't know how he would do on the turns. Uh, if you ever watch that, it's like NASCAR on ice. That's what they say yeah. you know, every night on NBC. Uh, you're just getting in line with people and all that, and you're trying to figure out all that. I just want to see Jorge Mateo go on skates, you know, go yeah. on a really slick surface and how fast he can go. That would be really, really cool. Uh, the other one I have is, you know, figure skating's been on a lot. That's the way it works. Um, and, and, you know, in order to make figure skating work, you have to have really, really good footwork. And I was trying to think, who has like the best footwork of somebody I know in the minors? I immediately thought, well, what position needs really good footwork? Okay, shortstop. Who might be the best defensive shortstop prospect I know? J.P. Crawford. I would love to see J.P. Crawford as a figure skater. Okay. Um, you know, give him like two years to train. I'm sure the Phillies wouldn't be that happy with that. I'm sure a lot of Phillies <laughs> fans are turning off the podcast now saying, no, 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 we just traded Freddie Gallagher. Don't suggest this, Sam. Yeah, don't, don't move him to another sport. Right. Um, but J.P. Crawford using that kind of elegance – at short, he makes things look so easy there. Uh, at times, like too easy. Um, to see that translate in, on the ice would be really cool. I wish I could come up with somebody that I would think it would be like a really good skeleton racer. I guess is the term, but yeah. I, I don't know exactly. Skeletor. How, Skeletor. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> how how that all weighs. So I'll, I'll stick with the stuff that I feel like translates at least semi well. Um, uh, so those are my two picks. I got one and one only, Sam. Dan Vogelbach curling. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I got for you. Dan Vogelbach looks just has the look of the world's greatest curler. Yeah, I would need to, him know. to have more of a mustache to match. And I wish I knew the guy's name. He's just curling Mario in my mind. Perfect. Oh, yeah. The dude whose sister um, Hamilton is their last name. I can't remember his first name now. Um, but, yeah, he and his sister uh, were doing the mixed doubles curling. And his, yeah, the stash is incredible. The stash I was bet, incredible. I bet Dan Vogelbach, he could probably grow a pretty mean stash, I would think. Uh, I would think so. Let's suggest um, that to Dan. He just had the big red hat, too. It was just, it was yeah. wonderful. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing going on. <laughs> so that's it. Dan Vogelbach, America's next curling star, Dan Vogelbach. <laughs> You're welcome, USA Curling. I got you all covered. Um, so that'll do it for this week's sort of Winter Olympic-themed edition of Three Strikes. And, uh... We're, we're headed to, to spring training next. Try to contain your excitement. But we're really actually headed to spring training next. The Milwaukee Brewers organization and Corbin Burns, right-handed pitcher who finished last year with double-A Biloxi in the Southern League, joins the show from spring training. Coming up next. Pitchers and catchers reporting all across the world of major and minor league baseball as we head into uh, the middle of February in 2018. And we are joined by the fifth-ranked prospect in the Milwaukee Brewers organization coming out of 2017, and that is right-handed pitcher Corbin Burns, who joins us from Maryvale, uh, Arizona, or I would assume at least close to Maryvale. Corbin, what's going on? How are you? 
Not much. How are you guys doing? We're good, man. Thanks a ton for doing this. So give us the you know the rundown of the last just handful of days for you. I mean, when it gets to this final run-up to actually reporting, um, you're not too far away being a, a Bakersfield, California native, but what, what have the last few weeks been like for you getting ready to head to spring training? Yeah, so just, uh, you know, just been getting everything packed up, getting ready to get on the road. But, um, you know, I've been here for about a week now. Um, you know, just kind of getting my feet underneath me here, um, you know, getting in the weight room, getting out throwing, throwing, throwing a couple bullpens. So just, uh, you know, just getting acclimated here in Arizona and just you know, excited to get going. Being a non-roster invitee to big league camp this year, what's the biggest difference from seasons past? Um, being a, you were a draft selection in 2016, there's not a ton of these that you've gone through, obviously, but, um, you know, compare this with last year and what it's been like so far for you. Right, right. So this is just, the, you know, my second spring training. Um, but, um, you know, I, I approached it, you know, the same way as, it, as I did last uh, last spring training. Um, you know, we're taught all offseason, um, you know, getting the body in shape after, a, you know, after a season, getting rested, getting back into shape, uh, get the arm going, get off the mound, you know, just start, just slowly start working back things into it. So, um, you know, for me, I've, you know, approached it as, as the same I would if I was going to minor league camp and, um you know, this year it's just a uh, you know different group of guys at a different level. Corbin, so many people you know kind of count down to this, especially once the Super Bowl is behind everybody, and you know that the next thing on the sports calendar, um, you know, as far as a big event goes, is when pitchers and catchers report. And for you know those of us who live in cold weather states, this is like the first sign that oh yeah, eventually things are going to turn around and the sun will shine <laughs> in summer again. But the excitement that we feel on the fan side, what does it feel like for you guys? I mean, the first time that you put everything on, get out there for uh, you know an official workout or an official you know bullpen session or whatever it is um what are the emotions like what is the the sensation like for you guys no it's it's definitely exciting you know um you know you'll probably hear it all over the place you know some guys say you know long off season you know this and that just you're excited to get back but for me it's just um you, know, you, you put all the work in you know in the off season working out getting stronger getting the arm in shape that you know once you finally get here it kind of comes full swing and it's like okay, now I kind of get to apply everything I've been working on, you know, since last year and this last off season. So it's, you know, it's definitely exciting and, you know, to lace those, you know, the spikes back up and put the glove on, but, um, you know, it's just, it's a great feeling to get back out there and, you know, play and catch all the guys. Yeah. And when you mentioned working on things this off season, I mean, you're coming off a season in which you posted a 1.67 ERA at 0.95 whip. It's about as successful as a first full season as you can get. What were you kind of working on this off season to make even that next jump for you? Yeah. So basically what I worked on last season, um, you know, that I picked up last spring training, um, you know, that's just trying to keep, you know, refining the mechanics, making things repeatable, making things consistent. Um, you know, what, you know, working on the off-speed pitches, um, you know, the change-up, curveball sliders. Just, you, you can never stop getting better. So, for me, it was just to you know, try to keep hammering the mechanics that I, you know, worked on last year just to try to keep, you know, being more and more consistent and, um, you know, continue to work on the breaking stuff. You, never get, you can never get too good with all that stuff. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the mechanics because some of the stuff I've read about you and heard about you from other people, you know, is that the mechanics did get a lot cleaner last year, and that helped certainly with your control. You only walked 36 guys in 145 two-thirds innings. Um, you know, what steps do you feel like you made last year, and what were you able to kind of take into the offseason to continue with those tweaks? Yeah, so the, the focus uh, beginning of last year was to, you know, obviously to cut down the walks, you know, fill up the zone more, you know, throw a lot more strikes, and um, last year in spring training, we made a, you know, a slight delivery change just basically in the windup to help with some timing and some, um, arm flow stuff. And, you know, since the first day I did it, you know, it kind of clicked and was able to build off it all season. Um, you know, took those same results I got at the end of last year, continue to work on them through the off season. And, you know, that's going to be the same stuff I'm working on here this spring training is, you know, just trying to be more and more consistent with, you know, getting the arm up. Um, you know, staying, keeping the front side closed and just, uh, you know, just keep hammering things over and over again. And, you know, it should help to, you know, even reduce the, you know, the walks and the, have the better control even this year. And you mentioned your breaking pitches as well between the slider and the curveball. You know, depending on who you talk to, some people say you have a better curveball. Some people say you, you have a better slider. Where do you feel like the development of those two pitches are? And what do you feel like you still have to need to do with those, you know, two breaking off offerings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the slider is something that I've, um, I've thrown for a while um, through that in college and, you know, continue to throw it in into, um, 
into pro ball and the, the curveball is something I didn't use much in college. It's something that I've more used, um, used a lot more in, in pro ball. And, you know, I've been able to talk to you know, a lot of, a lot of different coaches, a lot of different players just to kind of keep on picking up tips, you know, with both actually the curveball and the slider. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the, the, the development I've had of the curveball, um, you know, the last couple of years. And it's something I worked hard on again this off season. So, um, you're definitely excited to get, uh, you know, get, get things going in camp and, you know, to keep keep spinning those, keep working on them, and just trying to get more and more consistent with them. Corbin, being on the big league side for uh, for camp this year, who are some of the guys that you're most excited to work with, work alongside? You know, as far as other pitchers go, or pitching catches, pitching coaches go, um, and some of the catchers that you're most excited to work with. You guys get such a wide range of that in big league camp, and you get exposed to so many things that on the minor league side maybe you don't get to see. What excites you about that this year? Right. So, um, so I've I've been here for a week now, and. Um, you know, there's obviously there's been a couple of big league guys over there as well. So I've been, uh, you know, been fortunate enough to, you know, to kind of be around Oliver Drake. Um, you know, he comes out of the bullpen and Chase Anderson, um, you know, being able to play catch with him the last couple of days and he's just kind of picking their brains, so different pitches, um, you know, just always trying to learn something every day. Um, you know, was able to throw a couple of bullpens with Stephen vote and, you know, he's, he's been, you know, a big presence, you know, veteran guy in the clubhouse and, you know, he's, he knows his stuff, so it's uh, it's good, you know, throw a couple of pins at him and see what he has to say, different things, and um, you know, obviously today getting into getting into camps, you know, seeing all the coaches, um, you know, just getting in front of all those eyes, it's uh, you know, it's really exciting, and yeah, can't wait to continue to, you know, kind of pick all those guys' brains and you know, see how Cam goes. When you know you get to game action here in the next couple of weeks, um, there are the opportunities you're going to be pitching in big league games against some big names and stuff. As far as Cactus League guys go, um, maybe even somebody that you might not get a chance to face or something like that. But is there anybody that you would just love to see? Um, you know, of the the teams that are down there in the Cactus League, somebody on the major league side or the minor league side, somebody that you'd love to test yourself against on an in another lineup. Yeah, so I've, I mean, I've, I grew up in California, so I grew up an Angels fan. So, you know, there's, they're not too far away in Tempe. So, you know, it'd be, be cool to, you know, to pitch against some of those guys that I grew up watching. And also, you know, to see some of the guys that I grew up, you know, coming playing with through college and early on in pro ball, some of the, um, you know, guys that are just getting into big league camp the first team time, the first time as well. Um, so it'd be cool to face those guys and just see those guys again. Okay, let's say you get thrown into a, a one batter situation against the Angels, and you get to go against either Trout or Otani. Who are you picking? Uh, I'm picking Trout. Okay, I mean, it figures <laughs> being the guy who's been around for longer, and obviously you've watched him forever. Okay, that's and a good, arguably that's a good the choice. best player in the game, yeah. right? Yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's yeah I, I grew up watching him, so that that'd be exciting. <laughs> All right, well, I, I kind of want to get into a technical question of how do you find out about getting invited to big league camp, you know, coming off the year that you did, you know, ending at double A, getting at the I like to assume they there. mail you an actual invitation. Like, it's like a you party, so, yeah. and they just mail you a card, and you have to fill out, like, whether or not you're attending, like, a wedding. Yeah, and what could, whether you want the beef or the chicken. But <laughs> is that, like, a, <laughs> no, no, no. is that something you're talking about or even thinking about at the end of the year, or how does that kind of process work out? No, so for me at the end of the year, it's just kind of like, hey, you know, the season's over. Let's, you know, kind of relax, let the body heal. Um, you know, had a, had a, had an exciting off season. Was able to, to, you know, to go to a couple of cool events. Um, was able to go to the the rookie career development program. Um, was able to go to Fan Fest. And so, um, you know, for me, the off season was pretty cool. Just you know, getting those invitations, and then of course the last thing was you know getting the phone call about being invited to Big League camp, and then you know then then they send you all the all the logistics, but. Uh, you know, they, they, they reached out to me with a phone call and, you know, we're, we're excited having you in camp. So that was pretty cool. And kind of looking forward to 2018, you know, like I said, you fi finished the year at double a doesn't seem like you have a heck of a lot to prove there, but the idea of the jump to triple a, usually that's daunting no matter what. Uh, but the idea of maybe pitching in Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs and the Pacific coast league in general for a pitcher, that's obviously kind of far from ideal, you know, what are you kind of looking forward to about that? Or how much are you guys talking about, you know, pitching in that atmosphere, whether it's the PCL, you know, as a whole or Colorado Springs specifically? No, so for me, I, I try not, you know, to address, you know, certain levels, certain atmosphere. Um, you know, for, for me, it's, you know, you're, you're out there playing a the game of baseball, you're out there having fun. Um, you know, I'm going to go and approach every start as if, you know, I was in double A, triple A, A ball, big leagues. For me, I, you know, I, I have a pretty set routine I stick to. So, um, you know, as long as I prepare, you know, the way I should prepare that the week up, you know, the three or four days up to that start, um, you know, I feel like that, it, you know, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm going to go out and, 
you know, pitch my game and attack hitters how I usually do. And uh, just one last one for me. Um, you know, we, we talked about how this spring training might be a little different because you're in big league camp from last year, but I would imagine Brewers camp itself is going to be completely different this year, you know, coming off the year that the major league club did. Is that something you can kind of sense in the week you've been there is that, you know, this is a team, it added Lorenzo Cain, it added Christian Yelich. You know, as an organization, this is a real contending organization now as opposed to a rebuilding one like last year. Is that something that's palpable in camp yet? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely exciting. Um, you know, you see the guys walking around, um, you know, good morale in the clubhouse. Um, you know, today obviously was the first day of the big league side, but you know, to see see guys coming in, see everyone, see everyone excited, everyone excited to be back. You know, everyone you know talking to a couple of guys. You know, look, they're all looking forward to the season. You know, with the different acquisitions and you know, a good year last year. You know, there's definitely a definitely a lot of good talk around you know around both the minor league side and the big league side. Um, you know, the excitement to, you know to come this year. So we're all. Uh, you know, we're all hoping for a big year, and you know, we're excited to get going. All right, Corbin, last one for you. Um, and this for everybody listening, if you want to feel super old, Corbin was born the same year that Major League Two came out, so five years before Corbin was born, Major <laughs> League One came out. But Corbin's name, Corbin Burns. Corbin Burnson, the actor, played Roger Dorn in Major League, and like minor league fans get a little inventive with heckling. Has anybody ever heckled you with a Corbin Burnson slash Major League slash Roger Dorn related thing? No, actually, I haven't heard that one. Okay, yet, so good. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to I'm give sure, anybody I'm ideas. Sure it's <laughs> no, no, I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> you can blame it on us. From now, I'll be like, oh, the minor league podcast. <laughs> yep, exactly. This is unbelievable. Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers organization last year with Double A Biloxi and Class A Advanced Carolina, a 1.67 combined ERA over 26 stars, 145 and two thirds innings, and uh, and a lot of big stuff ahead in 2018. And congrats on the the big league camp invite, man. Best of luck in uh, in 2018. I'm sure we'll be talking to you down the line. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have me on. Well, last week we were not graced with the presence of Benjamin Hill on the podcast because Ben was uh, actually at a ballpark, which is not normally a February activity, but was uh, pitching in to help a promo schedule unveiling. Hello, Ben. Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam. Hello, Ben. You got to be kind of the, the guest of honor for the Hartford Yard Goats last week. Yeah, I did. I was invited to uh, Dunkin' Donuts Park, the home of the Hartford Yard Goats, uh, to moderate a panel discussion uh, related to the release of their promo schedule. And since I'd never quite gotten an invite like that, and I'm going a little stir-crazy in February, uh, I took them up on it and lended my uh, industry expertise to the proceedings. And so I was on hand as the team uh, kind of went through their promo schedule, and uh, I kind of helped moderate the discussion, as I said, from topic to topic. And uh, we got to see such things as um, the goat yoga bobblehead that was unveiled, which is a literally a man in a baseball uniform, in a, in a yard goat's uniform, uh, doing yoga with a goat on top of him. And that's a reference to the fact that the yard goats actually uh, have goat yoga sessions in the batting cages. So not during the games, but um, they have like off-season and uh, – goat yoga sessions and now they're immortalizing that with a bobblehead so i'm sure there's never been a goat yoga bobblehead before um for what if night the team is uh, becoming the hartford whirly birds which is one of the uh which is one of the finalists in the name the team contest last year the team were was uh, the praying mantis for what if night this year they're the whirly birds and there will be a full-time uh, Whirly Bird mascot at Yard Goats games this year, not just for the night they become the Whirly Birds, but uh, all season long. And that mascot, I don't know what the terminology has, but he has uh, eyes that will like move around in his, uh, like his pupils will bounce around. Oh, so he has like jiggly eyes. Yeah, he's got jiggly eyes. So uh, that's a minor league baseball, if not a first, a rarity at the very least. And uh, of course, most notably, because everyone obsesses over food. Um, Hartford is the latest team to jump in with the uh, alternate food identity night, and they're going to be the steamed cheeseburgers uh, for one night only. I believe that's, when is that, in August? August 12th. And, uh, you know, steamed cheeseburgers are a, uh, they're believed to be invented in Connecticut, and uh, Ted's Restaurant, a uh, famous steamed cheeseburger restaurant, will be uh, on hand at the ballpark that night. And uh, today the Yard Goats unveiled their uh, steamed cheeseburgers caps, which uh, set set the internet aflutter. Uh, they are uh, quite quite remarkable. So go online and check those out. Uh, if my word descriptions uh, are not really cutting it, which I don't think they are. They quite look honestly. exactly like what a cheeseburger hat should look like, which is 
strange for like milled stuff because I don't think I've ever seen. Obviously, like the tacos have like the taco is on the hat, but this looks like an actual cheeseburger the whole way around. It does. It's got the layers of uh, condiments and a bun color on both uh, the top and bottom. So uh, good work by the Yargoats on steamed cheeseburgers. Has anybody and, named, made a um, – well, first of all, Montgomery did something similar to that last year, right? They had a biscuit hat that was kind of similar. That's true. But yeah. um, I don't think anybody has made a Principal Skinner steamed hams joke about it being an Albany expression. I don't know why Hartford is doing the steamed, the steamed cheeseburgers thing. We'll get to that moment eventually. Okay. Okay. Good. I feel like our, all of Twitter already made that. That's joke. an Albany expression. Yes. <laughs> yes. The Aurora Borealis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. <laughs> but anyhow, I was in Hartford. That explains my absence on last week's podcast. You can check out the blog uh, to see a recap of the event I attended and get caught up to date on the Yard Goats promos. And, uh, you know, there'll be much more where that came from. I might not be moderating uh, panel discussions related to team promo schedule releases, but I, of course, will continue to cover them. Ben, um, there was a story that went up on the blog as well that you said you didn't get a whole lot of feedback uh, on. But um, as we were looking at it just now, it's really a pretty fun blog post um there we you obviously did the story a few weeks ago on what minor league teams get confused for um the west virginia power everybody thinks that's actually a power company etc etc there are a lot of minor league teams that have twitter handles that aren't necessarily what you would think maybe their twitter handle would be for example the quad cities river bandits are not just at river bandits they're at qc river bandits i think um but the at river bandits handle belongs to a dude named david greer who on May 17th, 2011, um, when he was apparently 11 years old, according to his Twitter bio, uh, he tweeted, quote, run two laps at practice, and he's never been heard from since. So maybe there will be like a podcast about what happened to David Greer. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> this is a whole post about minor league uh, teams that you may confuse these Twitter handles for. This is really good. Well, thank you. I wrote this post, and yeah, it, it's just it, it came about as a function because I'm always, you know, more so than the average person, or more so than maybe any person. I'm going to minor league baseball team Twitter accounts to check in on various uh, endeavors that they may be doing, and I often type in the wrong handle and get, you know, and end up on some random Twitter page where the user just happened to use the name of a minor league baseball team. Uh, so I decided to have some fun with that. But I wrote that post a few days ago, published it. I tweeted out a link to it. It got zero likes, zero retweets, zero responses. The, I have no applause on Medium on the post itself. And um, as confident as I may come across at times, it's all a ruse. And I just felt that it was a bad idea and everyone hated it. And it was only your guys' support right now that is even causing me to talk about this because I was just uh, ready to sweep it in the dustbin of history. So this is your please clap moment, basically. It is. It is. It and is very good, though. Thank I you. Well, I'm asking you guys and any listeners to check that blog post out and tweet it yourselves, and maybe we'll get a second lease on life, and I'll feel better about myself. And try to get some of these names back, for crying out loud. Like, who should be having Rawhide? Right. Rawhide? There's got to be some sort of statute of limitations. And Twitter, as we know, is the worst thing on earth. But, like, the at Flying Squirrels handle hasn't tweeted since October 29, 2008. And I'm actually jealous of this person because their only tweets are over a six-day span where they were just traveling in Europe. And so I'm jealous of that. But, like, if you haven't tweeted in nine and a half years, you should... You, come on. Come on. You can't just yeah. sit on that name. I agree. I agree. At Rawhide is a Swedish guy who tweeted once to his friend to say, hey. <laughs> it's like, no, nah, this Twitter thing's yeah, not for it's, me. It's not for me. Call me back when it gets 280 characters. Yeah. Well, here we are. <laughs> It's pretty good. These are all pretty good. I am somewhat surprised that um, the at baby cakes handle was somebody had that presumably before the New Orleans baby cakes even came into existence. Oh, um, they definitely did. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and the at biscuits handle, the tweet itself was so old that Ben embedded that you couldn't even embed that tweet. He had to just screenshot it and post it. And it's just a tweet from at biscuits that says boring from April 15th of 2007. So long ago that I was still in college. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's hard to believe. I didn't even know Twitter existed then, but there was a man with an account I at biscuits. Either. I was a junior in high school and I didn't. Twitter was not a thing back then. I remember I, I was had a, one, I had I was one a professor in college. <laughs> oh, Ben was was holding down uh, the the early, not even full fledged Ben's biz back then, right? Well, I had Ben's biz blog that started in two thousand seven. Okay, so, so it was I was infancy. a young, I was a young 
prebubescent uh, Ben's business. <laughs> I was, uh, well, I had one professor my senior year of college who had Twitter, and I remember thinking, like, that thing will never catch on, and now here we are. There's a story coming up tomorrow, um, and if you're listening to this, it's up on the site right now. Ben highlighted some of the highest attendance increases in minor league baseball from 2017. Give us a little preview of, uh, of that story. Right. Well, I did a story last year uh, on uh, teams that set attendance records uh, in 2016, and I was going to do the same format this year, but there was kind of a lot of overlap, surprisingly, with the same teams just setting the record again. So I didn't want to rewrite the same story. So this year's article is uh, the 10 teams with the biggest per-game attendance increase in 2017 over 2016. And uh, I did this article, uh, it's kind of inspired by and with the help of a man by the name of David Kronheim, or Kronheim, I've never said his name before, I'm sorry, David, Uh, but his alias is The Number Tamer, and he releases very detailed uh, minor league baseball attendance reports every year. Check it out at thenumbertamer.com or just numbertamer.com if you're interested in really uh, breaking down minor league attendance. Uh, so with the help of his report, um, I, I put an article together on the 10 biggest per-game attendance gainers uh, in minor league baseball last year. And number one is a team that you just would not think because it's um, a team that was in their third year at a new ballpark and, uh, you know, no rebranding, nothing drastic. But the Nashville Sounds increased by 1,762 fans in, uh, in 2017 as compared to 2016 for the biggest increase in all of minor league baseball. And, uh, you know, I got some quotes from um, Adam Noose, the team's GM, and he said, you know, we put an emphasis on group sales and, uh, you know, try to make ourselves, uh, you know, the most hospitable group area Uh, in Nashville, and that's how we can set ourselves apart from the Tennessee Titans, the Nashville Predators. Um, But each of these 10 teams has their own story. Uh, Columbia and St. Lucie have an overlapping story in that their uh, per-game increases were at least somewhat tied into having Tim Tebow on the roster. Uh, We have two teams on the list, uh, Binghamton and uh, Jacksonville, that rebranded, so I think that explains some of it. But then you have teams like Potomac, who've been around in that market for four years, and they played in an old ballpark. But they increased uh, 815 per game for one of the highest increases in all of minor league baseball. So if you like this kind of information, I don't know why I'm banging my fist on the <laughs> desk. Sorry. Um, check it out on MILB.com. It's a pretty detailed article, and uh, you will laugh and you will cry, and you'll do neither of those things in, in actuality, but you will learn something, and uh, that's really my goal. Thank you. And, uh, Ben, we'll kind of wrap it up with just some quick news that's going around in terms of ballpark stuff starting in Rochester uh, the Red Wings signed a new lease, beating a what was it March first deadline to to stay where they are. Yeah, this seemed like a preordained conclusion, but things got kind of tense. Uh, Frontier Field in Rochester is owned by uh, Monroe County, by the the county, and uh, the team and the county, um, you know, had some trouble coming to terms on a lease agreement. Uh, it got so to the wire that the international league got involved. Deadlines were set. There was talks about a contingency schedule if the if the uh, Red Wings and the county couldn't get it done. But all's well that ends well, and uh, they have they have a ten year lease extension, uh, pretty much uh, good to go at this point, and that makes a lot of sense for all parties because you know the, the Rochester is I mean the Red Wings are one of the longest running organizations in all of minor league baseball, uh, really deep rooted in the community. Frontier Field is their home. I mean, it just makes sense for them to be there, and it's it's good to see that that got worked out. Um, not without some drama, but all's well that ends well, as I said. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. You can check out the story on the site, milb.com, and uh, on Twitter, Ben is at bensbiz. At Ben Hill, by the way, a suspended account. It what is. Do you, what it do is. you know, Ben? Yeah, I don't really want to talk what about done? Uh, about what uh, my personal account at Ben Hill uh, did to get suspended. Uh, we'll save that story <laughs> for another time. What I would like to know, uh, we're, we're taping on Valentine's Day. Uh, Tyler or Sam, do you guys have any Valentine's Day plans? Uh, I am broadcasting going to a alley. So oh, there's... that's fun. Yeah. All right. With anyone special, Sam? Uh, that's something for off the podcast. <laughs> He keeps things close to the vest. Tyler, uh, do you have any Valentine's Day? I'll be broadcasting a college basketball game. Not very romantic at all. All right, we have bowling and basketball on Valentine's Day. What are you doing, Ben? Uh, I'm going to go out with a friend of mine. Okay. A female friend? A lady friend? A girlfriend? (laughs) Also off the podcast? Is that what I'm doing? And now it's just bumper music. Now we just got (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys.
Okay, I promise I'm not recording. Who are you spending Valentine's Day with, Sam? <laughs> you don't get me that way. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dang you counted down. I know Man. not to say anything. Uh, Once you say one, I know the, the green light is on. As much you know as that we're can. now officially on the record. Yeah, no, say. that's okay. There is no actual off-the-record, young journalists, in case one day you want to break a, a big story of your own. Just keep it in mind. Legally, Have you ever had that? Have you there ever is no off-the-record. Like, a, a player tried to say, I, I'd like to go off-the-record now? I, I never had a player. Um, I did have, there was a, a controversial story that we wrote for MILB.com uh, a few years ago about an incident in uh, Boise, Idaho, um, involving a, a former highly touted Mariners prospect. I did have a game official from that game um, after the fact get cold feet and and say i don't want my name associated this after the story had been published and that was kind of a dicey situation um and we came to an understanding and everything was fine but um yeah if you're a young journalist you know it's you're you're covered in that regard but it's always good to just to make sure with somebody okay are you okay with with being on the record with your name being used etc and that was the case but sometimes people will say you know i'm not so sure about this after the fact and then you kind of got to have the conversation and everything turned out fine um but it was that was an interesting i think that's the first and might be the only time in which that's that's happened to me um but i've you know i think it's more it comes at you from an administrative point of view um where people talk about something that they don't necessarily want you know themselves being publicized with and we don't cover a lot of real controversial topics but even you know for example the uniform stuff that i've been writing about every once in a while you'll get somebody to say like some of this information is proprietary um you know so we'd rather not have it in the story because it's you know things that are being worked on that aren't necessarily out in the public eye yet or haven't been released for public consumption yet so it's kind of interesting it makes me feel like a real journalist which i mean if anybody has met me I'm like the farthest thing from professional that there is. So um, it's kind of fun sometimes when I feel like, oh, yeah, I'm a I'm a real hard worker. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> you are you are a real hard worker. Ah, thanks. Buddy. You, have, you have many jobs this... that would fall under real journalists. Don't, don't get too hard on yourself. All this um, love on the minor league baseball Valentine's Day podcast. I know there's something about February 14th, I guess. Uh, what about you? The, the closest I've come uh, was once somebody, a player just decided like, Hey, can we go off the record and just talked about when his injury happened? Okay. And I was like, that's not really against anything. Like that's right. not going to, I, you know, and so you just have to be a human being in, in instances like that. And you just talk to him and be like, listen, it, it makes my story better. If I have this, it's not going right. to hurt you at all. This isn't going to, yeah, exactly. This isn't going to actually do anything to, to harm you in any way. Right. Um, and I've noticed too, a lot of players, Young players tend to be, and understandably so, tend to be a lot more hesitant um, in interviews because they don't want to push any, you know, wrong buttons with an organization if they're talking about an injury or if they're talking about, you know, even something like playing time or a position where they're being tried um, for something like that. But it's interesting because sometimes you'll get guys on the other side and you and I have both spoken with this guy and he's never afraid to say what's on his mind. But I remember a couple years ago talking with Brent Honeywell when he was in the Arizona fall league and said, you know, right off the, off the bat out of the gate, I don't really know why they sent me here. Nobody gave me any information as to what I'm supposed to be working on or, or anything. So I'm down here trying to get better, but I'm not really entirely sure why they sent me here. And I <laughs> thought that was interesting because it was one of those things you kind of would have figured somebody would have been like, you know, I don't really want this in the story, but I didn't really get real guidance right out of the, you know, out of the shoot on what exactly is going on here. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. And um, Brent Honeywell is just such a cool dude. He's such an interesting, introspective athlete. And I think the Rays just love in him that he's like, why hasn't anybody told me anything to be working on? I want to be working on something constantly. Like, I think right. that's a positive. Yeah, no, definitely a positive. <laughs> um, also, I bet they probably trusted him to know what he Right, exactly. Like, you're smart. Kind of you know what we want from you. And yeah, we're going to – We just and want it was to get probably, Right, and it was probably something somewhat intentional that the Rays were like, you know what, let's send him down there. Don't tell him what exactly we want him to be working on and see what he does. You know, right. put put the guy in the maze on his own, see if he can figure out his way out. Like I think yeah. that's a that's a test in and of itself. And with somebody that self aware and that talented, you know, Brent Honeywell is going to be a major league pitcher this year, and there's a reason for it. So yeah, and if, as long as we're getting in journalism weed stories, I, I just want to tell this one, other one real fast. Um, I did a story once at a spring training. I I won't actually say who this is, um, but it was somebody. You know, I don't think he really spoke to the media that much. He, he was an executive. Um, you know, got everything on the record. It was pretty good. I wrote a story. The next day, he reached out through LinkedIn. 
Oh, really? Yeah, asking if uh, his quotes could be taken off the record. Same deal. Uh, story had already published. It was fine. And I told him that. I'm like, I'm sorry, I've already written the story. Right, and I, don't, right. I don't think anything about it was that tough. Right. And there's not really uh, anything we can do. I mean, once something is out there and it's been published, it's kind of our hands are sort of tied at that point. Right. So his response was actually, actually, I reread the story and I feel like you quoted me accurately and in, in, in the you know correct fashion and all that. And Interesting. Take back what I said. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm a professional. Right, exactly. This is what I do for a living. Yeah. Um, wow, so. that is really interesting. Yeah, and I have had, you know, I've gotten people that will, I'll do an interview with somebody and then they'll text me after the interview and say like, hey, just off the record, here's some additional information that you can use for context or whatever. Um, most organizations are very, very wary of discussing injuries, and that's somewhat understandable. I think sometimes you do bang your head against the wall a little bit when it seems to be a situation which there's nothing really to be gained or lost by an organization talking about an injury if a guy is injured and he's out for the year an organization not acknowledging that a guy is injured now for the year doesn't change the fact that he's injured and out for the year yeah, i've right. never really understood that the the tight-lipped um you know kind of uh concern that goes into that but at the same time i don't have the money invested in these guys i'm not paying their salaries i'm not dealing with their insurance all that type of stuff so i'm sure there are good reasons behind those decisions that are made and those are the most understandable things when it comes to somebody's health or whatever i'm i'm very understanding of the fact that sometimes you don't want to discuss that um but yeah it's it's very interesting it's a really interesting world of uh of what exactly is just you know perfectly public fodder for conversation and sometimes what some organizations or athletes or coaches or administrators or executive think like yeah maybe i'm not gonna go full bore with this right well i'll end it on this one um before we turn this into a journalism podcast yeah which we very i know well could do. we literally opened we started going into this segment by both of us saying oh i don't have anything to talk about to finish <laughs> and here we <laughs> are here we are well, I think, again, going back to your point about talking to young guys who can get kind of skittish. Also, I think a lot of people have watched journalism movies now. Like, right. it's kind of like Law & Order. Like, once you start watching dun, dun. Law & Order, you assume you know what it, it works or how a courtroom works. So right. you just yell objection and you're fine. It's like, that's not how this works. There's actually rules. Right. There are rules. So here. people just being like, oh, they go off the record all the time in these things. That's fine. Right. It's like, no, that's not how the real world works. Works. No, no, so I don't no. care how many times you've seen the post or spotlight excellent movies, all of them, all the president's men, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, however, you're, you're dealing with humans in the real world on the other side. Yeah. And, uh, we have our own rules that we go by. So, yeah. And it's there are no rules here. This is the world. Of <laughs> That's what journalism baseball, school man. taught us. There are no. Rules. Um, yeah. It's Four funny years too later, because they gave us a degree. <laughs> I was actually having this conversation with somebody the other day about the the concept of media as the antagonist obviously on a a world level has gotten to be a whole different ball of wax that we're not going to talk about but in in sports that's kind of always been the way it's always the, ah, the press is out to get us it's us against the world blah 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 and i think athletes now adopt that at a very young age i think athletes adopt that coming up thinking maybe this will benefit me too if i also take on this me against the world mentality um when you're a low-level prospect or you're playing at a you know at a small school if you're playing collegiate athletics or whatever it is you're not nobody's out to get you nobody's out to get you when you're climbing the ladder through the minor leagues nobody's out to get you when you're you know if you're plying your trade as a, a guy who's um you know either a college athlete or you're an independent ball or whatever it is like we're trying to do a job too and that's one of the things that i'm most thankful for in the minor leagues is you so rarely run into anybody who is skeptical of you or thinks that you have some weird ulterior motive because i think those guys kind of recognize a counterpoint in us of like these these people are just trying to do their jobs too. They're just trying to tell the story of like how is your curveball developed over the offseason. They're not out there writing something salacious about something that you have no idea going into an interview is going to end up coming out of it. And that's somebody asked me the other day, what do you like about working in the minor leagues? That's one of the things that I really like about it. People are so real. Prospects are real, coaches are real, um, you know, executives and people in player development for the most part are very real. Scouts are that way. Um, I really like that about minor league baseball. They these guys are still very much in the mode of people who treat you as people you're doing a job they're doing a job you both get it about each other i've always really appreciated that 
Yeah, and there are guys in the majors who who are that respectful as well. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's not to say that everybody in the major leagues is a jerk because that's right. not the case either. No, no, not not at all. But there is a, a sense to it of, of a little bit more of community in the minors than necessarily in the majors where everything kind of becomes sterilized and, you know, the velvet ropes kind of get put up of when you can do things, when you can't do things, um, all that stuff. It It's a little bit more freeing to work in the minors for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Well, man, this took an unexpected and fun turn at the end. Uh, I'll, I'll Look take how formative. Yeah. We are. Yeah. We'll have to do this every couple of weeks. Just check in on our minor league journalism ethics. Yeah, exactly. We'll do uh, ethics we'll corner. Hold- and neither of us went to, to Northwestern, so we can't even <laughs> act that arrogant about it. Um, that'll do it for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. Uh, our big thanks to Corbin Burns for joining the show. Benjamin Hill as well. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.